Hi, I'm Todd Nathanson. And I'm Lena Morgan. This is it. The 100th episode of Song vs. Song. Here we this are is... now. Entertain us. <laughs> oh, I want a podcast like an animal. <laughs> no, you don't. No, I hate this. No, no. <laughs> no, no, no. No, we, we love this. And we have a very special one for this. Our centennial. That's probably not the word. But our centennial episode. We are doing at long last smells like teen spirit by a little band called Nirvana versus closer by the band Nin, which I think stands for something. Uh huh. What it says in my notes is this is nine inch nails. And apparently these are pretty important songs to both you and I. It could be. They're certainly important songs. That is definitely <laughs> true. Although I, I feel like one of the things we're going to end up talking about is why these two songs are against each other um, and why not other got, songs? This is the, got, mo- this is the little... most like we'll have to like dig into the, how the sausage got made. Cause it's a process. It was a process. Like one of these songs has been the song that we didn't know what to pit against something for a really long time. I don't know. You, you came up with the, the pairing. I remember that. And I was like, we've been searching for what we were going to put smells like teen spirit against for the longest time. In, like, hi- in but- hindsight, I have one thing to say, which is that I kind of wish we had done like a March Madness, not non-episode <laughs> poll of all the possibilities and let people vote until the one that got the most votes was the thing that it went up against so that like the least number of people would be disappointed. Um, I, were, I were, feel good about this. Well, the second you proposed it, I was like, that's it. That's the one. Well, let me ask you a question. Did you because I had two other songs that I had been considering to go against Smells Like Teen Spirit. Do you have any other songs that you had considered as potential possibilities? The first thing that came to mind was, of course, Pearl Jam, because Nirvana versus Pearl Jam is the great Blur versus Oasis of grunge. But it feels like any Pearl Jam song, like the Pearl Jam oeuvre goes together. And there's not one that towers over the others the way that smells like teen spirit towers over, uh, you know, Nirvana's catalog. So that never felt right to me. I would have thought about black hole sun, but we already put that against Pearl jam. We did. Yes, we did. Believe it or not. The first thing I came up with, and this is going to sound real stupid was enter Sandman. I mean, we'll, we'll get into the the the, con, the cultural conversation as, as I guess as we go in. But I mean, there, a lot of the bands you're naming are bands that sort of, you know, it's not like the grunge movement is literally born with Smells Like Teen Spirit and Nirvana. There was no. a lot happening musically in the background, right? That sort of leads to that song. Um, so like it, it it's, it's a milestone, um, but certainly like there was a lot else happening a lot of other bands that you could talk about when you say when you suggested closer that's the only one that felt really right to me i'm going to give you two other songs that i strongly considered pitching to you all right one was the other song that we've never been able to come up with a companion for and that is creep by radiohead oh i want i have i have several that i want to put up against creep but none of them felt quite right um, and I can, I can see it, but like, well, Tom on, York on the, and, 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 and Kurt Cobain, I think had, have grew to have similar feelings about these respective songs. <laughs> like, I don't know that Tom York ever really liked creep, but 
Kurt grew to resent the popularity of Smells Like Teen Spirit, certainly. There's a there's a great clip of uh the the entirety of Radiohead except Johnny Greenwood launching into creep in a very recent one. And Tom York seems to have made his peace with it, but Johnny Greenwood has just like got the most miserable stink face on during <laughs> it. Amazing. Um, yes. But somehow, you know, I think partly it's because of the fact that Pablo Honey is not Nevermind. Yeah, that's a big that's a big one, yeah. Right, and like all of what made Radiohead great really happens after Creep. Creep's a great song, but like the the profundity of Radiohead happens in the bands and OK Computer and Kid A and stuff after and in Rainbows arguably the album that like brought like a whole other generation of people into that genre of music. But um, Creep Creep feels separate from Radiohead in a way that Smells Like Teen Spirit does not feel separate from Nirvana even though it is arguably bigger than Nirvana, but. Right, but, so I thought, not that one, so I, I put that aside, and I was like, what else was an alt song that also some people might describe, because Nirvana was also sometimes, in a, if it wasn't grunge, people would also call them, like, whatever was 90s punk, right? Before, mm-hmm. like, the actual punk genre. Before sort the of, Green Day showed up and stuff. And that's the other one. I was like, what else is like a, a huge album? Everybody bought it, had a song that was like the song off of that album. And I was like, it's Basket Case. That was the, but the thing is that Basket Case, Basket Case is not important. There's nothing about Dookie that you go, man, that changed the world. It was hugely oh, popular. Say- everybody owned that album. Everybody loved Basket Case. It was played to death to the point that people are so sick of it now. But like, it just doesn't have the profundity of importance. It doesn't have like it's not capital A art the way that smells like Teen Spirit is considered to be. I mean, I could make a case for Dookie being as important as Nevermind. I could not make the case of Basket Case being as important as Smells Like Teen Spirit. All right, I can get behind that. I just there when I think of like first albums that I ever bought that I just listened to start to finish, front to back, over and over and over again. The first two mm-hmm. albums that were like that for me were Nevermind and Dookie. Those are the first two. But I just, Green Day is not, for all of their longevity, mm-hmm. I just don't see it. And so I, I thought, okay, what am I really asking? What is this really about? It's about hearing a song and feeling like once it's in you, everything about what you were is either changed or revealed or both. And the only other song that really felt that way from the 90s for me that just absolutely tore me from the inside out was closer. <laughs> Made you feel from the inside. Yes. Um, so that was that was how that was how I landed on on that song. I just thought like, who else had such a profound impact on the alt scene that wasn't Kurt Cobain? And to me, the answer is Trent Reznor. So there you go. I mean, who who went to Trent Reznor to say, "Help me make my new sound," David Bowie? David Bowie was like, please help me. Help me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, to me, it, that was that was it. I mean, I understand why people still were like, this doesn't make sense. There was never going to be a song that was going to be a perfect marriage to Smells Like Teen Spirit. But looking at all the possibilities, having thought about this now for basically 100 episodes, this was the song that ended up making the most sense to me. Obviously, we started off with one of these songs in the pairing. We were like looking for something to pair against Teen Spirit. So Teen Spirit 
has a pretty serious edge here and the, the advantage in the matchup. And I think it's undeniable that Teen Spirit will be bigger than any song we could have put it against. We could put it against like the Beatles and Teen Spirit would be bigger for at least for our generation, for everyone who listens to this show. But we also put Let It Go against How Far I'll Go. And mm-hmm. we were like, Let It Go is obviously bigger. Is it going to win because it's so much bigger? Or is it going to lose because it's so much bigger? And it lost. That's like, true. That's how I feel. I, I feel like this is an even matchup. And I feel like Closer is closer than people realize to Smells Like Teen Spirit. And I'm not sure I felt that way to begin with because... When I first was exposed to Nine Inch Nails, I didn't get them at all. The way I got Nirvana right away, I considered them more of like a shock rock band. Because, you know, at the, at the time, Reznor was friends with Marilyn Manson and all that. By the time I got to Nine Inch Nails. Sure. They were like, I, I would have associated them more with Rob Zombie or something like that than I would have with Nirvana. And time has sort of like erased that. Like you don't think of like Nine Inch Nails anymore as like, like a, a like a metal band. No, like, I there's a, a shock I, and offend. I'll I'll say it later, but there is an artist that I sometimes think of when I think of Trent Reznor. Then it's not Kurt Cobain, but I don't, I'll say it when we get further out. I feel like we've done a lot of preamble here. Let us mm-hmm. answer the 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 question, Todd. Of these two songs, which one is better? I say this over and over and over again. No amount of overplay has managed to damage Smells Like Teen Spirit in the tiniest way for me. I could hear that song over and over and fucking over again, and it's still just as good as the first time I heard it, which is good because I have heard that song quite a lot. Like, I have never felt the need to throw on Nevermind in, like, the last 10 years because that is an overplayed album. Like, maybe not anymore but like overplayed in my mind overplayed in culture and smells like teen spirit still absolutely hits for me it's that one okay all right uh well how about you i've been thinking about this a lot and you know um putting it in a time and a place uh i think after two terms of a reagan presidency hmm the wallpaper of American conservatism was starting to peel. And that's what happens when you don't just cover up the walls, but the windows too. Mm-hmm. You know, a gilded cage is still a cage. And you can see in music this shift in feeling, this noise like rolling thunder that's somehow coming from the outside and the inside at the same time. But it's thunder without lightning noise without vision, sound without sight. And then smells like teen spirit lights up the fucking sky so <laughs> bright. It's like a supernova and the wallpaper burns down and the windows explode and whatever the people running music, art, government or whatever wanted the world to be was ashes. And all that was left was what truly is. And that is smells like teen spirit. But Todd, (laughs) I felt it. I felt it coming. The only thing that works for me (laughs) helps me get away from myself 
It's got to be closer. That song, no matter how many times I hear it, it's like a fucking disease inside of me. I feel like it's an infection. I've had it for 30 years. I hope it fucking kills me. <laughs> I, I, it, it's incredible. I, Maroon 5 could not ruin that song for me, and believe me, they tried. Did they? They did. There's a pre-Maroon 5 Becoming Famous, very bongo-heavy cover of Closer. <laughs> and by God, Adam Levine should be in jail forever. That, like, whatever else he's done wrong, and God, Jesus, it's a lot, I actually don't consider anything to be even close to as bad as him and Maroon 5 doing that cover of Closer. That's a cancer. I hate you. <laughs> you um, Maroon 5 does a pretty decent cover of Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground. I would not consider Closer to be an <laughs> example. Ex- Listen, there. Are, what's amazing to me, you should hear it. It sounds, you hear one person like wooing. I played it for Raven and Raven listened to the recording because it was live and the person wooed and Raven said, don't woo for that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, you know, this really betrays what Maroon 5 always should have been which is a mildly successful band in their college and then nothing more i'm listening to it now and this is <laughs> very maroon five it surely is oh man i really like feel early like, maroon five maybe i should have saved this information for later in the podcast but God, good grief it's it's mind warping there was a time when maroon five would dare to cover it closer they are not that band anymore well, there's no band really. Anyway, all right. Yes. Let's let's so let's let's have a conversation, I guess, because we are technically on uh, you know on opposite sides of this debate. Mm-hmm. It's this of all the episodes we've ever recorded. I don't because everything is so known. It's hard to know where you start. When Kurt Cobain died, I did not know who that was. Oh wow! I don't think wow. I even know who Weird Al was in 1994. <sighs> <laughs> wow, the face you are making. Well, it's just, it, it's of all of the, the things that separate us, this is, I don't even know if it's top 10, but it's a big deal. It's its a huge yeah, like, thing. It's a huge difference are, in cultural context. Yeah, you are older than me. And also, I was a pretty sheltered child culturally. I did not know a lot. So, like, I had to learn Weird Al first, which would have been by, by the end of the 90s, because I was like, I remember being dimly aware of Amish paradise. Like so many nerds, I learned, I got into weird Al first and then I had to work backwards from all the things that I knew about him. So smells like teen spirit is something I understand only historically. So you were there. I would get you. I was very young. You know, I, I'm not, you know, I would give it to you. Watch somebody like Rick Beato on YouTube who is Mm -hmm. older than me. And was I think like twenty twenty one something like that when when this song dropped, um, and so I think that being that age gives you the true cultural context. I was a full decade younger than that. I was mm-hmm. like eleven or twelve, maybe, and um, yeah, I was eleven. I think uh, that's not the same, but I I remember hearing it for sure. I remember the the shift in the ground beneath my feet on a purely animalistic level, right? Like I didn't like an animal. 
Yes, like an animal. Um, I could feel it from the inside. Um, yeah, it just, there was music before that, and then there was music after, and that's, it's it's that thing where if you listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit, and uh, certainly I got made fun of a lot for this by um, friends that I had in high school that were not very nice, that I did not know the lyrics of most <laughs> Nirvana songs because I'd never really looked them up. You know, we were still very web 1.0 at this point. There was, you know, if, if, if the lyrics weren't written on the inside of a CD pamphlet, I, I didn't know. Um, right. So I would just go on what I thought they were saying, and I was always, always wrong. And here is the thing about that. On a certain level, it doesn't fucking matter, <laughs> right? Like it does, it matters in the sense that if you know all the words, it, it, it adds another layer but what you get just in the raw emotion, just the sound of every part of that song is earth shattering. In, you know, cause I have decades of hindsight of listening to music and, you know, I've also listened to a lot of Oasis and I am familiar with the Max Martin style of pop songwriting where he doesn't really understand the language and it doesn't quite make sense or like fit together at all. Like, Sometimes you have to take, you assemble meaning out of the bits and phrases that you do understand. So, Smells Like Teen Spirit makes absolutely no sense. To this day, no one has been able to really decipher what any of the lyrics mean specifically or like a concrete meaning. But emotionally, every line of that hits. Like, you understand like that he's very angry and he's very frustrated and that he's not clear what he is trying to say. And he's angry about that. Like he's, it's a, it's a very specific emotion that like basically summed up the rest of the nineties for us like that. Now, now I'm frustrated because I can't articulate what this song is. There's okay. So there's like, so first of all, I mean like it's also a feeling of the pent up aggression of, the previous decade, right? Like that's the mm-hmm. other thing that makes it so important because the nineties for whatever the per- perception is, was a very conservative decade. <laughs> People don't realize if you didn't live through it, just how conservative it was. The impact of the eighties was that they had completely normalized right wing conservatism and, I mean, I feel like I've used this example many times before, but if you're hearing this for the first time, I went to a preschool that was called the Jelly Bean School, and the reason it was called the Jelly Bean School is because Ronald Reagan <laughs> loves jelly beans, and that was the level of indoctrination. And so for those of us that were children during that decade, um, it was really effective. So by the time we'd gotten to the 90s, you know, we were teenagers that had had that as the rote normality of things. And despite that, despite the best efforts to make us these like good little moral Christian children, um, that shit did not work because there was something inside of us, you know, the real human part of us that was like, no, no, thank you. Not this. Fuck you. And this was the song that when we heard it, we were like, yes, this is the feeling that we haven't been able to give a word to for all of these years. And in some of our cases, including mine for our entire lives up until that point. And all of a sudden it all made sense. 
that's why like the lyrics, some of them make sense, but there's something about the sound and there, and the few lyrics that you can absolutely make out immediately. It just, it just all clicks and that's important. But what I wanted to say was there sure are a lot of bands that lead up to this. Like you like, it's funny because everybody talks about Arguably nine inch nails is one of them. Sure. Well, nine inch nails is, we'll get to that. That's, um, it's interesting how they, I think, come on a completely different track. But um, very well-known. Kurt was a big fan of the Pixies. This song was influenced by the Pixies. But um, I think you really have to give it to Sonic Youth, a band that was kind of the benchmark for what the expectation was for uh, album sales for Nevermind before there was a realization of where things were going. I'm um, eventually going to do a Sonic Youth versus Pixies uh, episode on here. And that's going to be weird because the talk about two bands whose reputations have like completely flipped. Like Pixies were the underground band and Sonic youth was as close as to like the mainstream as you could get. And that is like not the perception anymore. Yes. Yeah, truly the bull and the Heather, but um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean like it's interesting because uh, you know, think of like late eighties is also um, Metallica cultivating a huge live audience you know, and, and the music video for one eventually coming out and justice for all being a very good album. That's terribly produced because if there's one thing I know from Metallica, it's terrible production values consistently across the board. And, but then like, you know, like bikini kill had put out like a, like a self-released tape around like late 90, early 91. And they obviously were contemporaries of Kurt Nirvana and, I don't know, like Husker Du, Soundgarden. Um, James then, Addiction. Sure. And then the band that I kind of feel like, as far as specifically that Seattle grunge scene is concerned, that was already making huge headway, but didn't quite have the track, was Alice in Chains. I think at that point you could say like, well, they put out like Man in the Box and that was right. a pretty big hit, but it wasn't. It smells like Teen Spirit, right? Right. Great. And certainly, I feel if you were going to pick any one band, what was the one band that was poised to be the band before it wound up being Nirvana? I think I probably would have argued it would have been Alice in Chains in that moment. Like, they were so close. For a while, it seemed like it was going to be Faith No More because they also had, like, a big big hit. Absolutely. Like, these are all things we are discovering in hindsight, reading the history books, not something I was there for. Why would, well, yeah, well, that's, again, that's a difference between you and me because I, I, I came to Alice in Chains a little bit later, but I was still probably like a freshman in high school. So that would be like 94, um, for me that I was getting into all that music, um, and really embracing the grunge movement at the time. Um, again, being only at that point, like 14 years old, what is, wow, it's so fucking weird. <laughs> that's so weird, man. I don't like. I don't know how to explain how odd it is to be able to look back and say I was just getting into high school as the grunge moment movement had completely taken over everyone everywhere across the globe. No, like when I got into music, I was like an immediately an alternative kid and alternative was on it just about on its last legs in like Y2K. Well, sure. And not only that, I mean, that's also so, like I was like a, an absolute wrong generation kid for, you know, music that was only 10 years old. I think so. First of all, Kurt hated the word alternative. I remember him literally saying, big, "Yeah." I remember him literally saying, "Alternative to what?" Right? Like <laughs> that's a that's a I don't know if it's a well known quote, but I remember hearing him say it. Um, but 
I don't know. To me, being a teenager in 1994 is like, I don't know that there is a better time to be a teenager. That's the perfect moment. If you're going to be a teenager at any point in time, like it's like the whole world was a teenager in 1994. I'm sure it was nice. I was not a teenager. My only memories of the music of 1994 are country music and boys to men. I mean, you can't go wrong with either of those things. Well, <laughs> it's certainly not boys to men. Um, yeah. Isn't that, that's like a Garth Brooks era, isn't it? Yes. The Garth era. Boy, we had to do a <laughs> Garth Brooks fucking pairing. We have not gotten to that yet. Oh, we'll, we'll get there eventually. I'm sure. Whew. All right. I'm trying to think what else. Boy, this re- it really is. It's hard. It's really hard to talk about any of this stuff because a lot of it is stuff that I found out retroactively. So much of Nirvana was just pure id, pure instinct, my response to it. And how do you, how do you put into word what that feeling is? Because it's just a feeling. It's more than a feeling, really. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, do you, you want to explain why you said that? Yes, the riff from uh, the riff from "Smells Like Teen Spirit" was born out of uh, Kurt Cobain trying and failing to play "More Than a Feeling" by Boston, which is a, a weird thing because, like, that is exactly the kind of music that uh, Kurt would shit on, because Kurt was a giant snob. He sure was. Um, As is Trent Reznor, for that matter. Sure. Well, that's okay. I think you're allowed to be yeah. when you're that good. You're allowed to be a snob. <laughs> you don't have to be, but you're allowed. That's like the cut to the comic books world. It's like Alan Moore. Alan Moore is allowed to be a snob. <laughs> um, Kurt Cobain is is the Alan Moore of alternative rock. Yeah, Scorsese uh, he's allowed to not like <laughs> right. Marvel movies. You don't have to agree with him, but you can't really argue that he's not allowed to feel that way. That would be bizarre. Anyway, no, I'm, like I had something I was going to say. It really is hard. It's really hard to talk about either of these songs, but especially the Nirvana end of it is virtually impossible. Well, then why don't you? apparently closer rearranged your, your brain there. What was it about closer that, because when I got it, when I was first aware of nine inch nails was uh, when the fragile dropped. Hmm. And I'm not sure that's like a good entry point into nine inch nails. Well, I don't know. It's really hard to say like, where is that? Where does that fit? Um, I also definitely think that, that nine inch nails um, and Marilyn Manson went kind of um, hand in hand for me at the time to an extent just because, I mean, were, because were, I had gotten into close they were to and, each other, and I'd also gotten into uh, Marilyn Manson before um, the the album that is the the album that I guess everybody had known them for, which is Antichrist Superstar. Mm-hmm. Um, I had gotten into them prior to that. What the heck is the name of that album? Is it not that one? Not that one. Portrait of an American Family, 1994 also. There you go. Oh, you were way ahead of the game. Yeah, I remember that album getting, because, you know, again, I had a, I was friends with this guy uh, who became my drummer, who I think for whatever reason was just very keyed in. And he was the one that shared that album with me. Um, and I thought like, oh, wow, like this this is incredible. Um, and I remember the, like that, like I remember hearing cake and sodomy for the first time and it just <laughs> blew my top, but like, it is very shock Rocky kind of stuff. Right. That was what, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we're not here to judge the sum entirety of Marilyn Manson, the person at this point, I can, I can only talk about in this moment, what it was like in 1994 when I heard this album for the first time, which is to say, 
I just thought it was cool and, you know, but in that way that like Alice Cooper is cool, right? Right. That was even then kind of the vibe of it. Trent Reznor was very different um, because I almost want to skip ahead. I remember being in college and there was this um, girl who I was very close with who was like all American, blonde hair, blue eyes, like very like vanilla seeming person. Her obsession with the downward spiral was unbelievable. It was wild because you would never look at her and go like that person, that person loves Trent Reznor, but she was obsessed Mm -hmm. with him, right? Like she thought he was enormously attractive. Like she definitely wanted him to fuck her like an animal. Wow. Um, and he's a good looking guy, especially when he started bulking up in the two thousands. He's not. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I think he looks, he looks good at this point too. Um, yeah. During, during this era. But the thing that really got me about the song was not the song. Although the song has grown and grown and grown on me over time. It was the music video. Oh, it's an all timer. The closer it's, video. I mean, they're both all timers, but like, I remember being a kid you know, a teenager, whatever. And seeing that video on very late at night, it's one of those late night music videos where I watched it and I didn't feel the same afterwards. I remember feeling the same way about Paranoid Android by uh, Radiohead when that one came out. But this one specifically, um, because they couldn't air it in its entirety, they would literally just, anytime MTV said no, they because it was done in the style of a silent film, they would mm-hmm. just put up a thing that said scene missing and you'd go, what the, f- what the fuck is that? What I mean, is like, like what it, it was, it was not just what they showed, but what they didn't show and the creeping dread. And I don't think I can put enough emphasis on this. It was like watching the video from the ring. <laughs> I watched it and I thought something bad was going to happen to me. <laughs> it was terrifying. I was absolutely unseated by it. And like any good kid, when something scared me, I wanted more. For me, it was all, it was the crucified monkey. Oh, well, for sure. It, and the uh, the silhouette of Trent suggestively licking the microphone. The pig's head is. Oh, yeah, that it's all just. Like, creepy and wrong and not good. And I, you're like, I, there was a lot of work that went into that music video, by the way. And I don't think Trent Reznor himself was even sold at the beginning. There's a, there's a lot going on in that. And like, I I'm curious how it plays for people now, like the kids who weren't there for it after like nine saw movies. Does this still hit you? Is this still impressive to you? Is it still dark? Cause you know, some of the, like the old seventies horror movies, the like Texas Chainsaw Massacre still hit for me. So does this extremely 90s video still hold that power for you? Because I'm sure it can't. Like, it, it's not, oh, it, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean the same thing when you're not watching it on MTV on basic cable after midnight. It's it's a good question. I actually it's interesting that you you bring up Texas Chainsaw. I was thinking about that movie while I was thinking about these two songs, because in a way, both Kurt and Trent were like Leatherface. Right. So in the sense that like, so Texas Chainsaw, boy, this is, thank goodness all of my, my horror movie knowledge gets to come out in in this song podcast. Uh, (laughs) But 
The thing about Texas Chainsaw, what makes it so unsettling isn't just that it's so creepy looking and grungy grindhouse looking visually, although that absolutely helps enormously. The thing that makes it great is that it betrays an understanding that there is this aspect of Americana, not the good, not the not the bright, shiny stuff, not the stuff that makes you feel good about being an American, but all of the dispossessed people that we leave behind, right? There's this point at the beginning of Ameri- of, of Texas Chainsaw where um, they've gone to this graveyard that's been desecrated by what we now know is, is, uh, is Leatherface and his family. Um, and the, these young kids are going to make sure that a member of their family's grave is still intact. And there's an old man there who's drunk and he's laid on the ground. And he's like, I know things, but no one listens to an old man. <laughs> and you're like, that's right. Nobody does. So he knows. And the reason that all that stuff is happening is because they've like in the name of, of progress left all these people behind. You know, they've replaced the way that they kill the animals with a new mechanized form. Right, which has caused people to lose their jobs in this area. Uh, you don't think that that's going to have any impact because you're not thinking about it. And Texas Chainsaw is about the people that are left behind and what happens when you leave them behind because eventually they get back up and they catch up to you. And when they do, they're fucking pissed. And the 80s was again like this bright, shiny Americana era, right? 1950s do-over. Everything's a Norman Rockwell painting, but in point of fact, most of us were pretty miserable, <laughs> and especially someone like Kurt, who was not being cared for, was coming from a broken home, and was dealing with enormous medical issues, eventually caught up and was pissed, and Smells Like Teen Spirit, you hear it, and you're like, that is the musical equivalent of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Kurt Cobain is the musical equivalent of Leatherface. And I think Trent, there's something in the insistence of his music that also kind of hits that. Well, like I said, like at the time, I thought like Trent Reznor was this gross-out metal guy. And like for Mm-mm. what it's worth, he's not not that. But over time, people have like kind of forgotten that part of it because what people remember is like Trent downward spiraling. Like Hurt has certainly uh, helped that in his image in that regard. But like the downward spiral is called the downward spiral for a reason. Well, it's a concept album, but yes. And now when people think of nine inch nails, they don't think about like the shock and the gross out. They think of like Trent's very real, very overwhelming misery. Like he was in like a really bad place and versus, you know, Kurt Cobain who like, you know, died because he was so unhappy and that's what people, you know, think of. That's the overage Kurt Cobain. But like Smells Like Teen Spirit is not like people don't think of that as like an angry or an unhappy song. That to people now, that's just a headbanger. That's a that's a mosh pit song. And that's how it was kind of perceived at the time, too. Like that's kind of why Kurt disliked it so much, I feel like. Well, you know, it's that complicated feeling of what happens when the people who are the ones that kept you down suddenly like you <laughs> you're like, I'm sorry. Fuck you. You know, it's, it's cause you want 
a place in the world, but you don't want to just forgive the people that had denied it you for however long. Um, and Kurt was, you know, it's the, one of the big things that I always connected with with Kurt was the physical pain, the physical anguish, because we both have Crohn's disease and how bad that fucks you up. Um, and for him, he had no real access to, to really good medical care for it. And that's part of why he was a drug addict, right? Like that was why mm-hmm. he was so strung out. It's because he needed a relief for the pain. Emotional stuff was there too, but like he was dealing with real literal physical anguish. So it's hard. It's really hard to have people come around all of a sudden and not only like you, but then say, how should we feel about things? How, Kurt, how should we be? How, how be human? I don't know, man. I can't fucking tell you. Fuck you. I mean, that's what the song is about. Oh, well, whatever. Never mind. I don't know. Like, Kurt was a very conflicted guy. And the weird thing is, I, I don't think he ever reconciled himself to his own ambitions. Because he did make this song. And it sounds fucking great. He fired their original drummer. He hired Dave Grawl. That's a move you don't do unless you are looking to be the best at what you do. And he made fantastic music videos. Like, he had the... like. The entire music video for Smells Like Teen Spirit was like invented by him. And he like had the entire thing recut because he wanted like a certain image. He was so good at it. He was he was great on MTV. He was extremely charming. He was extremely good looking. And he just did not know how to handle any of that. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, it's 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 what happens when you get everything you ever wanted. <laughs> um, well, I don't think he got everything he ever wanted, but he got, well, he got a lot of the, you know, the perception of all, of all the things that you're supposed to want. How frustrating to, um, cause boy, I'll tell you, like, as far as MTV is concerned, he kind of fucking saved them. <laughs> Good grief. Can you imagine where, 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 where would, would MTV have been in the nineties without that music video? Um, and how must it have felt to be Kurt Cobain to pour your heart and soul into something because you look at the generation around you and you feel that they're disaffected to the point that they're not doing anything. And you're like, we've got to revolt and to have the result be these guys in suits going, ah, yes, we will use this music video to get a brand new generation of consumerist suckers Holy shit. How fucking terrible would that make you feel? I think Kurt Cobain definitely set the entire tone of defeating yourself. That kind of spread through the decade. Like smells like teen spirit is a song about not caring or caring and not caring at the same time or is withdrawing in disgust as he would put it. Cause you say like this was like a conservative time my received wisdom uh, as someone coming of age much later in the decade was that caring was stupid. Like that's, and Nirvana is not, not part of that, you know? Right. It's frustrating because it's the exact opposite of what Kurt was trying to get across. I think, right? Like, yes, he was acknowledging that that was a feeling that people were having, but he was trying to rearm, reassess, re-revolutionize people. Um, and well, he did not succeed. 
No, and that's, well, I, it's, it's one of those things, man. Like, I was born in 1980, and there was a, an awareness as a kid, right, when huge cultural moments happen. Like, I remember the Challenger disaster, but did it affect me? Did I really understand it? I remember the Berlin Wall coming down. That's a big deal. Huge, global. Do I re- Did I understand at the time the enormous significance of it? No. When Kurt Cobain committed suicide, my whole life got turned upside down. Nothing had upset me the way that that upset me. Nothing. No, I mean, there were copycats in response. Like, people couldn't take it. It was a very big deal. I remember that. Like, that was like the first time I had heard of Kurt Cobain. Like the when it it punctured my uh, little bubble. It was such a big deal. All the kids I knew were very upset about it. I think it was like a freshman or something when the when the when the first year since he had died had come up. Me and one of my classmates went and like got into class early, and we had like done a huge like Kurt Cobain tribute on the chalkboard at homeroom. <laughs> um, because we were still feeling the devastation of it a year later. Um, and I remember it was like the entire day, it's all we talked about. Um, and that was a year out. It had just dominated my entire year. And that was the year that took me from junior high school into high school. Um, so I was so young. And yet I, I just think it, it really stood out as that, that first moment of cultural import, right? Like a true tragedy that made me not, like I didn't, I didn't know how to, how to function with it at all. I didn't know how to address it. I didn't know how to emotionally deal with it. And I spent a really long time just working through it. It was a, it was a global trauma, which is wild. And I don't know how Kurt Cobain would feel about such a thing. It's hard to say. I think like the main difference between Smells Like Teen Spirit and Closer is that there's no none of like Kurt's hipster disaffection in closer. No, absolutely not. It's hard to say what Kurt was feeling when he made smells like teen spirit. It is very, very, very easy to know what Kurt Trent Reznor was feeling when he made closer. Well, you say like, that it's interesting though, that a lot of people just assumed it's a sex song because it's not, it's, it's pretty blunt. But it's but it's I not mean, it's really that. But it, it like yes, like there's an element of the of the sexual to it, obviously. But um, mm-hmm. he's using it as a metaphor, right? He's trying to escape himself, right? Mm-hmm. It's so internal, um, all of it, right? That's the the def- the difference. I was talking to somebody the other day, like what's the difference between "Smells Like Teen Spirit" and "Closer"? Is that um, "Smells Like Teen Spirit" is a revolution? Closer is a revelation, right? One is all this external stuff, and the other is all this internal stuff. I'm not sure I can completely buy that. Yeah, I, I guess I see what you're saying. There's no there's, Trent is not reacting to things outside of him very much. Yeah, it's not like there's a huge societal element, right? Like Kurt's revolting against something. And yes, like these are internal feelings, but they're internal feelings to what's happening on the outside world. Um, he's trying to blow up the outside world, if you will. That's a, that's a Soundgarden reference. Uh, but but Trent, Trent is always dealing with completely internalized stuff, right? Like mm-hmm. unhappiness with the self um, and seeking validation 
on the outside via whatever means possible. In this case, it's it's the idea of somebody letting you like violate and desecrate them. Yeah, that's. But yeah, you made me perfect. You like help me get away from myself. Like help me get away from myself. Jesus, man, <laughs> it's not subtle, and it's not like. It's just such a it's such a plea from such a fundamentally dark place. Did you take it as something emotional when you first heard it? Because like I said, I am working my way backwards from the fragile. For me, this song was I want to fuck you like an animal. And it's not until much later that I, I ever heard it as anything else. As except like a, a funny song. Like much like a Marilyn Manson song. The thing is to shock your shock your dad. I don't know that I ever quite equated it that way. I mean, yes, of course that line hits, right? It's, it's, it it is a real fuck you of a line, which is wonderful on a, on, on an adolescent level, on a sophomoric level. But as a, as a person that is very discomforted by their own sexuality, um, I didn't quite my, if, if there was a sexual component to it, it was in the discomfort of my own sexual nature my own attachment to my own gender all that stuff kind of felt like it was a festering wound and this song felt like a cauterization right it hurt like hell but it also felt like it was helping a little bit so no i don't think i like it's not that there was no sexual component but it wasn't like yeah i'm gonna fuck yeah like there was none of that that was not the response that i had to it emotionally like I said, I had to work my way backwards through it, and uh, I didn't really listen to Downward Spiral until like much later in life. The the NIN album I had was uh, the first one, Pretty Hate Machine. Great record. Which great, great record. Which I mean, I, I liked a lot, but I never really felt like the angst that I I did listening to uh, a lot of bands that hit it a little a lot harder for me. I like I said, this is stuff that I didn't get to till later, and and certainly. I was kind of saw Trent Reznor as like the the rock star, especially as like the 2000s continued and he started getting more jacked and he became more respectable. Like, I mean, he's got two Oscars. I know. I know he does. Yeah, And like he I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but I always kind of like presumed like he he was faking a little. This is like wildly wrong. Oh, but, no. Wow. Really? Yeah. I don't think I ever felt that way about Trent Reznor always seemed really legit. Like, I think he seemed corny at times because he was so genuine. Um, you know, he was so not disaffected. Like, it. I often wonder this thing, this feeling that you came to have that you ultimately realized was incorrect about Trent. Had Kurt lived, he probably would have gone through something similar. Yeah, like I, I've always kind of, well, I don't know if always, but like, in hindsight, Trent and Kurt were very similar people <laughs> and they had very similar taste in music while we're out talking about it. But- sure. Although I think it's important to keep in mind. I mean, like in the previous episode, we were doing Devo versus Gary Newman. And mm-hmm. what I always think of as far as um, Nine Inch Nails is concerned and, and Trent Reznor in particular is that the explosion of the industrial scene um, is a sort of like let's revolutionize the synth pop of the 80s and make music you could dance and fuck and scream to all at once right like that's the music mm-hmm. that i that i'm thinking of i think of like 80s synth pop right. as being the start 
the starting place for Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. That's what's where it starts. And they go like, okay, what do we do with this? I think wh- where I got that impression was a quote I read from him once where he said, like, yeah, I was a pretty happy kid. I had a decent childhood, which he may have been overstating that a little because, you know, he did, his parents did divorce. He, you know, he lost it, you know, dad kind of disappeared on him. It, but it just wasn't like what, you know, Kurt Cobain of his like history of like drug abuse, child abuse and all that stuff. It seemed like Trent was like a guy who's like maybe had some feelings like the same way I, a normal kid in suburbia had my own feelings, but it didn't seem like as deep to me when I read that quote. And in hindsight, I think I misread that completely. Also like Trent has also kind of has like a preppy affect to his singing voice. that I don't know if anyone else hears, but I absolutely hear it. Like I can easily imagine him as like the preppy jock in like an eighties movie, the way he sings sometimes. Well, he, he sings like a guy who went to school for it, you know? (laughs) Right. Like that's the, I guess if you were trying to single in on a, on a, on a, on a big difference, I actually don't even know if he went to school. Do anything for you. Yeah. He's got a, I, yeah, no, I, I, I think I've always kind of acknowledged that aspect to him. Um, I mean, nothing, especially to a 90s kid when everything's so much about, like, being real versus selling out. Um, <laughs> nothing was ever as real as Kurt Cobain. He is the realest motherfucker to ever, ever do it, you know. He just, he never wanted to do, you know, people would be like, oh, like, hey, how do you feel about this, Kurt? And he would go, did anybody tell you how I felt about doing this interview at all? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I mentioned, like, the rest of the band, except for one guy playing creep all except one guy who has not reconciled himself to creep in Radiohead. Would you Johnny Greenwood? I, f- I feel pretty strongly that if Kurt Cobain were still alive today, he wouldn't have played teen spirit in a good 25 years. Well, he used to, in like, the beginning, he refused when they first started getting big, he would start to play it and then stop. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, I mean, because like teens, like I don't know how much this would be affected by the fact that he'd still be alive instead of like dying tragically. But God, Teen Spirit has been like overexposed. Like you play Teen Spirit now, and it's not about anything except being Teen Spirit. Like Jay Z samples it. Mm-hmm. Miley Cyrus covers it live. Oh, Moulin Rouge, quite quite famously, like, it's it, the, the 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 Miley Cyrus version. Like, not I, not very well liked. Oh, it's better than Tori Amos's version. Like immediately, like I don't, I don't know how quickly this happened. Like, or even like Weird Al covering it or parodying it, like within like months of it coming out. Like at some point, it became like the Mona Lisa of 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 music. It's just like a representative of music, or like the way Mona Lisa just means art now. Like Closer has not been degraded like that, even though it is such a towering song. Like I said, Teen Spirit still hits for me exactly the same way as I, when I first heard it. But it is much like the Mona Lisa, bougie and unbothered. Um, <laughs> let me ask you a question. So you, so it smells like Teen Spirit. You think it's the best Nirvana song? Yes, unquestionably. Is there any song off of Nevermind that's a close second for you? You know, it's funny. Uh, I had someone tell me that more than half the time, like a good 75 to 80% of the time I am going to, uh, 
agree with the popular consensus. Smells Like Teen Spirit is the best Nirvana song. What's the second biggest Nirvana song? Comes You Are? I would say it's Comes You Are. And that would be my my second favorite song by them. Like, I am extremely basic. Like, Jack Black in High Fidelity needs to come in here and yell at me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just remember hearing that album and, and gravitating towards, like, Drain You and On a Plane. On uh, a Plane would be my, like, my... Actually, On a Plane might be the second one, honestly. It's a great song. Really good. Really, really good. But I don't know. I like, like, Breed, and I like um, In Bloom. And I don't know. Like, here's the thing. I don't think a single song misses on that album, you know? Um, whatever you feel about the production by Butch Vig. Um, and, and for the record, again, like, Kurt Cobain even felt that it was too slick. He but, was wrong. Uh, <laughs> agree to disagree. Uh, yeah. I think so. Here's here's my my argument against that. Somehow, some way, occasionally history um, does a cool thing, uh, and in this case, uh, you can hear the very first time they played the song live. It's on there. It's if you look it up on YouTube, the very first time they played it, it is messy. Kurt does not really know all the words yet, <laughs> and it sounds better in that incarnation than the album version does, in my mind. Um, when you hear it and when it gets into the it gets into the real meat of the song, the way it absolutely shreds across the audience, watching the people react to that song for the first time, right? Like usually when you hear people say, like, I was there the first time I heard that song and I knew in my gut that it was gonna change everything, that I was so bummed because I was like, when am I gonna hear that song again? Because it's not recorded anywhere. Usually when people say that stuff, I go, that's bullshit. Ain't no way. Nobody knows. Nobody knows something's going to be as big as it ends up being. Oh, no. Not Smells Like Teen Spirit. You listen to that live version in 1991 or whatever, um, and you're like, yep, the world is different. <laughs> Just instantaneously. Unbelievable. It really does sound that way the very first time it's, it's played, uh, which is pretty neat. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's all that being said, there's nothing bad about never mind. There's literally not a, a, a missed track for me. Not one. Do you have a uh a nine inch nails song that isn't closer? That I really like? I mean, I love a lot of nine inch nails stuff. I it's interesting. Or do you have anything that's close to closer or above closer even? Oh man. That is really, really, really tough to say um i mean i have because a, they, I, I mean like if you because again like i always say it's like this it's their most popular song for a reason i'm i tend to say things like that a lot and i could absolutely say it for closer i think i think i much prefer head like a hole i mean i love head like a hole and i um i think that's probably the only other one that i would really consider but the thing about um downward spiral is that because it's a concept album the whole point is that you're like with the exception of something like Closer or like, I don't know, like some of the stuff at the beginning of the album, um, March of the Pig, stuff like that, like can kind of, and hurt at the very end, obviously, can kind of stand on their own. But for the most part, that album is really like an experience. You're supposed to let it kind of wash over you. So a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff kind of blends from one into the other. Like the goal is not to be like, here's the hit single, like, and here's all yeah. these other songs that might be singles, right? Like it's supposed to just take you on a journey um, and and you just lose yourself. Like there's no specific song except for the ones we named. Um, 
that's yeah. designed to like versus Nevermind, which is like a collection of really banger ass songs. It's just nothing but radio friendly unit shifters. Just ain't yeah. nothing but that. Um, which is why Kurt Cobain's response to that was to go, well, fuck this and fuck <laughs> you. I'm going to make, uh, in utero, which in fact is my favorite Nirvana record. And, and it, if I had to pin myself down and say, what's my favorite record of all time, it's in utero. I have been obsessed with that album from the very first time I heard it. As much as I like Nevermind and as much as that's gotten a lot of repeat play out of me over the course of the last 30 some odd years, absolutely there is no album that has gotten played more in this household inside of my brain rent free than in utero. That's fair. <laughs> I no, I'm n- never mind for the rest of my life. It's great. Um, I'm not saying it's a bad record. It's just saying that Kurt was more happy with in utero and I, and I feel the same. I guess Kurt and I are the real artists <laughs> here. Todd. No, like Kurt, Kurt would absolutely not like me as a fan. I'm going to be straight with that. I don't mean who does. Well, let's, 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 yeah. let me, you know how frustrated I get when people make big assumptions about dead people. Like I can't know. Yeah. I can't know. It's like when people go, Oh, like Kurt Cobain would have been non-binary or trans. Yeah. Sounds great. Would, would I like that? <laughs> sure. I would love that very much. He's dead. We don't know. Like he wore dresses and like clearly had some kind of complex feeling about the way in which the world expected men to be. For sure. But that's like saying like water is wet. Everybody has some degree of discomfort in what the world expects you to be based on things you have no control over. He just so happened to like visualize it in a very particular way. Like they were all wearing dresses and shit at the time. And that Mm -hmm. became a pretty normal thing in the grunge movement. But like, is that enough to to go? And that's the reason why Kurt Cobain was secretly trans or non-binary. No, (laughs) it's not. Let's not do that. I mean, well... He had a lot Let's of in, that, impact on non-binary and trans people, myself included, and I would never dismiss that. But to assume that about him, I just don't feel comfortable. Well, I'm not assuming anything. I'm just saying there were certain kinds of people he didn't like, the kinds of people who liked all of his pretty songs but didn't know what they meant. I liked his very pretty songs. <laughs> I didn't just particularly funny care he's, what they meant. Because he is so melodic. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. Right? Like, Certain artists can be really noisy and yet also have like this beautiful melody behind what they're doing. Um, uh, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, we brought up Miley Cyrus earlier. Like she on her episode of Black Mirror, she does like a pop version of Head, Head like, like a, a Hole. And, you know, that, that just con- kind of confirmed what I'd always thought. Head Like a Hole is a banger ass pop song. Yeah. In its original incarnation, not even like the shitty pop version that she did. It's well, I mean, also, at the, at the end she does the correct version, right? Like that's that that episode of Black Mirror. First they yeah. do the like upbeat lyric version of it, and then mm-hmm. at the very end she does the actual lyrics. And it's, I don't know. They they made a good case for the pop version of it. That one's also kind of a banger, honestly. I'm not disagreeing, but I yeah. will. I will. I mean, also this is about the Miley Cyrus glow up <laughs> that was happening. Like it's interesting is like you can kind of see it happening during the time that that um, Black Mirror episode aired but it was sort of a portend of where she was going to go. What a long distance to have traveled from how people felt when she covered Smells Like Teen, <laughs> Smell Spirit, like Teen Spirit yes. to, to where she wound up by the time she had done had like a hole and then what happened after that. Because now like she's very well known for doing like hard rock fucking covers. 
I did not know about that Teen Spirit cover. I went and listened to it now, and I'm like, yeah, actually, that's kind of not very good. She just wasn't ready yet. No, she wasn't. Um, which is fair. I she, mean, she grew into it. I'm very glad that there's no recordings of me playing Nirvana songs in my first band. <laughs> would have sounded terrible. Um, I'm sure I didn't truly understand all of it yet. I was a child. So here's the thing that I was also thinking about, because we've been talking so much about Smells Like Teen Spirit. Gosh, this is going to be a long episode. Sorry, everybody. It's the 100th. It's our 100th. It's the 100th episode. I'm 100. You know, I've got I've got the right to talk. You know, you've <laughs> got to listen. Who knows how much time we have left. Um, yeah. But Trent... I feel like if you had told me that he and Bjork were looking over each other's shoulders, I would have believed you, right? Like if you said Bjork was obsessed with Trent Reznor and that's where like Army of Me came from, I would believe it, right? Like if if you you could pick almost any Bjork song and be like, and actually like like Trent heard like, I'm the hunter. And he was like, oh man, I could do something with that. You know, like I would buy it. And they're, it's interesting because they're very different in some ways. And yet when I was thinking, I said this at the beginning of the episode that like one of the artists that I think of when I think of Trent Reznor first is Bjork. Like to me, they're weirdly similar because they're very electronic. They create music that is weirdly dancey. I I don't know if I would have made that connection, but I think you can really, really make the case that Trent Reznor has turned out to be the more important artist of the of these two of Kurt between Kurt and Trent. Well, I'll tell like, you here in 2023, four, no, three. Okay, it's three. It's three still. <laughs> Don't skip me ahead. Because <laughs> you know, grunge burned itself out almost immediately, and mm. rock as a whole is not a commercial force anymore. That's like a it's almost quaint. Well, it's changing but, right now. We're literally in the cultural shift back towards like maybe. actual. I think so. I really having listened to a lot of new music in 2022, there was a lot of rock music that was out there. I feel like we're heading in that direction. I could be wrong. I think we uh, are though. But like Trent with, cause he's, you know, so rooted in electronica. Mm-hmm. He's has had a profound effect yes. on the, the kids right now. If you look on YouTube, right? Every time you see somebody on YouTube like doing samples and beats, whenever mm-hmm. it's somebody that's got like a microphone and then that little like cubes shaped thing with a bunch of little cube buttons in it that all light <laughs> I th- up I different think it's a ways. Sampler. That's what it's called, I know. But like you know what I'm talking about, like that little sampler device. Mm-hmm. Would would that be what it is without Trent Reznor? I don't know, man. Like yeah. I think of that as the, yeah, that like, help me, right? Like at this point, Trent could just do that song by himself. I've seen people on YouTube use a sampler to do that by themselves. And it sounds incredible. And that entire, like to me, almost like a lot of like TikTok music is kind of like influenced by the way that Trent was making music, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of modern music is built on the footing of 80s synth new wave, but is buoyed by the way in which Trent revolutionized that conceptually. Well, I think that the the other big difference 
between Kurt and Trent is, you know, Kurt was so in love with scrappy punk rock versus Trent, whose stuff is, I, I don't know what the word is, ornate, very composed, I guess, mm. for such a raw sound. But like you hear a lot of effort put into his work. You can hear versus Kurt, who was like trying to strip it down as much as he could make it as uh, raw and um, messy as he could. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting to, to look at, at that just because, um, so the guy that, that directed, um, the closer music video compared that song and Trent to Prince. He was like, Oh, like, he's like, I feel like this, he's got like, he's like, he's like meant as a compliment that like, there's something almost of Prince about him. And I was like, I can see it. And then also for me, with the awareness of the fact that that Trent had wound up working with Bowie, right? Like there's something mm-hmm. very Bowie about Trent Reznor. Whereas Kurt's influences, and not just influences, but even like the people that he surrounded himself by were that dirty, grungy sort of thing, right? Like who was he hanging out with? Why the woman who who came up with the teen, with the teen spirit thing? Kathleen Hanna, who is in a band called Bikini Kill, who also was very grungy, the Riot Girl movement, right? Like mm-hmm. everything was extremely lo-fi intentionally. Um, and it's it's that kind of music that Kurt was listening to. That was what he liked. That was what he was striving for. And what I find to be so interesting about that is that if you take Kathleen Hanna as the, as the example, where did she go? She went from Bikini Kill to a much more polished group, a much more likely to use a sample group, La Tigra. Still Riot Girl, but like- Pretty dissimilar bands, yes. But like, to me, Kathleen Hanna is not reaching towards Kurt. She's reaching towards Trent with that. You know what I mean? Like, she's moving in that direction. She's doing that like, I made this stuff out of my bedroom, like, just like coming up with loops and, and bleeps and bloops and stuff, you know? Um- I just, I think that, yeah, to your point, Trent is more influential long-term because Kurt really, what, what, like, was was he trying to be influential? Was that his goal? What was he trying to do <laughs> other than wake people the fuck up with a lot of it's noise, a, the best noise he could, could make? It's, a, it's always going to be up for debate what he wanted because he was so contradictory and the song itself is so contradictory when it's not just complete nonsense smells like teen spirit. No one even knows what that means. And like, when you find out like where that phrase came from, it's kind of unsatisfying. Well, it's, it's the difference between, I mean, if you're talking about dichotomy, it's the difference between what Kurt thought it meant and what Kathleen had meant, (laughs) right? Like he thought it was like the, the smell of teenage dissatisfaction with the status quo. And Kathleen Hannah meant like, no dude, it's, ladies deodorant that a lot of teen girls have because they're coming to your show because you're hot. Like <laughs> that's, um, yep. <laughs> Those are two very different vibes, but he was doing both at the same time. And I, it's hard to know how much of it was intentional and how much it was just pure id, pure raw force. Yeah. I mean like with Kurt Cobain, it's always like that Simpsons quote, like, dude, are you being sarcastic? Like, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, 
the 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 big question, the question that I think people ask all the time and you can't answer is if he was n- around now, what kind of music would he be making? I can't even imagine. I, I, I read a book once about uh, a guy who could like imagine lost works of rock albums into existence. Like he could like get imagine a world where Brian Wilson w- stayed sane enough to record his masterpiece but he can't make a world where Jimi Hendrix lives because like his story just ends where it ends. So that's just it. Like Kurt Cobain's story ends in 1994. I cannot imagine what it would be like. It's just like completely beyond my comprehension. It's a fixed point in time. Um, You can't, there's no, there's no changing it without changing the world in a way that you can't possibly guess at the result and the risk is too high. (laughs) <laughs> like it, it just has to, it has to be that way, you know, like Kurt Cobain had to stare into the untempered schism of reality and break apart in a million pieces. That was just w- what was always going to be. It's weird to imagine him aging like Trent did, because like, that seems like the most logical option, like getting clean, getting sober, getting, getting right. And, and making movie soundtracks. And I don't know if that was in the, the cards for him, but like be, becoming respectable. And it's just so hard to imagine. Yeah. I mean, the closest that you can get is that we got the Foo Fighters out of Dave Grohl, right? Like, yeah, that's one. That's one possibility. Also, we got the Foo Fighters. That's nice. Everybody likes the Foo Fighters. Everybody likes Dave Grohl. Talk about a legacy like Dave Grohl. I mean, eventually we are going to have to do a Foo Fighters episode. I know. Is, uh, it's going to like, be again we, like 100 you, episodes and there's so much we haven't touched yet. What do you put against Everlong? What? Uh, if we ever do a Foo Fighters episode, it's probably not going to be Everlong. I know, but that's the best song. That's their best song. I know. We don't always have to do the best song. We were yeah. trying to do Creep by Radiohead. Uh, that's true. That's true. Although I mean, that is Radiohead's best song. But, but the thing is that like, I so the reason why I, we finally got around to Smell 18 Spirit was A, I wanted to do something big for the 100th, but also it means that now we can go back and do Nirvana again if I want to. It just <laughs> felt like we, we couldn't do Nirvana without starting here, I don't think. It would have been so bizarre to have right. picked any other song for the first time we did them. I don't know. I to my my answer to the what would Kurt if like if you're gonna take a wild guess like the what if scenario. I don't know. I think he would have. I think we would have gotten like a like a like a Sergeant Pepper kind of thing out of him because he was a huge Beatles fan, right? Like that was his thing. Like he loved the Beatles. There's like recordings of him like playing his guitar alone at a party doing this raucous, screaming, awful version of "I Feel Fine." <laughs> It's hilarious. Um, it's terrible. And like, I, at first I didn't even like it's, I, I, I had downloaded it somewhere, like probably off of like one of those really early peer to peer networks was pre Napster things like scour or something. And I heard it <laughs> and I was like, what the, f- what is this? Like, I wasn't even sure it was real, but it was, he would have evolved. I, and I think he would have done something really like weird and, and strange. Cause he was a huge, huge, huge Beatles fan. And I think that that would have had some kind of influence on him. Yeah, Ugh. I think it's time. You think so? I, I, now we, that we, we're we, at this an is going to be like a monstrously so long in, episode, but it's fine. Yeah, I mean, people don't even know what's coming. Yeah, we're not even close to finished. Um, okay, you get well, me closer to finished by doing the questions. Okay, so we do these questions in case the hundredth episode is the first episode you listen to. 
We have four questions that we ask. We use them as a means to sort of take everything that we've been talking about um, over the last uh, hour and 15 fucking minutes um, mm-hmm. and, and try to turn them into something that makes sense. The first question, God, every one of these questions is a nightmare, Jesus, um, is one of, um, I guess, cultural importance, right? One of these songs is going to stick around and the other one is going to be erased from time like it never existed um, for the culture, Todd. Actually, now that I say it out loud, this is pretty easy. Which song has to stay? <laughs> oh, man. What could it be? What could it be? On one hand, it smells like Teen Spirit. So, like... Yeah, I don't... There are some of these that I think are trickier, but um, this one seems really dead simple. Yeah. Like, I, I will miss... Closer, I will miss you so much. <laughs> um, but I'll listen to, like... Closer to fine. That's got closer in the title. I'll be yeah. all right. I'll be all right. Uh, I'll, listen, I'll listen to a different Nine Inch Nails. There are songs. so many other songs named Closer. See, Here, yeah, Chainsmokers. No, shut up. <laughs> Don't you dare. Um, uh, so that's many easy. people did dare. I nope, not me. <laughs> I have self-respect. No, I don't. Anyway, um, that song brought to you by Kurt Cobain. Uh, second question is a question of like knowing how the sausage gets made. Like you can imagine as much as you want, but what if you could be there? What if you could be a fly on the wall, experience soup to nuts, the entire creation, including the music video of one and only one of these two songs, which one would it be? This is also kind of tricky in a a way because there's a lot known about both. I'm not sure how much new information we'd get. Yeah, that was what I was thinking. It was like, I feel like I've already been there for Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah, I kind of get it the closer the just out of the fact that like it's the one that there's less known. The interband dynamics of Nirvana, I would want to know more about. I mean, Smells Like Teen Spirit is very interesting in the sense that I believe it's the only song that's accredited to all three of them. That is entirely fair. I don't know if Chris and Dave were as important on any of those songs as they were on Smells Like Teen Spirit. They are very prominent in that song. Yes, they are. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that would be kind of interesting just to kind of see um, how much did Kurt, if at all, argue with Butch Vig about the production? Yeah, because, you know, I kind of wonder. Did he like it? And then it was after the fact when people, someone else said it was too slick and he was like, God damn it, you're right. And then, like, acted like he was the first one to say it. I do wonder about that, yeah. Okay, you talked me into it. God damn it, shit. Did Nine Inch Nails really have any, like, people of importance that were of importance to that song? Or is it just, like, Trent being the one-man band that he is? Yeah, that's true. I mean, from my uh, money, the, the, he's, he's, really all, he's really the thing that ultimately matters there. I mean, the music video might be fun to look at, but, like... Yeah, the, but do I really want to like, watch Trent Reznor spin for 12 hours till he pukes? because <laughs> you know he puked there ain't no way he didn't versus the the making of the teen spirit video it sounds like it would be really fun to watch gosh yeah that. well i mean literally very famously there was an actual riot on set yes you know it's not like they went and got those people from central casting yeah like apparently like part of that the end of that video is like kurt just throwing a temper tantrum and like doing things wrong because he was sick of yeah, that he, goddamn video. when he got so close to the camera that all you see is his, like, very angry smile. Right. Yeah, he was very angry. He was, in fact, furious. 
They had been filming yeah. for like 12 hours and he was like, <laughs> I hate everybody and I hate everything. Yeah, that sounds right to me. That does sound, uh, I think it's got to be teen spirit. I was about to say it's going to be a clean sweep, but here's where things start to change. Yes. Question number three, Megan the Stallion. She's going to get up to a night of hot girl shit as she does. But before she can, she's got to prepare as, as you do. Uh, and she's got a soundtrack that she's got as she prepares for her night of hot girl shit. One and only one of these two songs is going to play. Todd, for now and forever, which one of these two songs is hot girl shit? Even before you ask this question, Closer was always hot girl shit. It's undoubtable. I yeah. Weirdly, this, like, I, I thought, I really, every time I start these questions, I'm like, it's going to be hard. No. Some of these are <laughs> dead simple. I don't, I'm going to fuck, I, I want to fuck you like an animal. Whether or not the song is actually about sex, irrelevant. It is hot girl shit. Like, I, I want to say, like, I have seen, like, a strip club scene in a movie or something where, uh, like, Closer was the, the song. Like, that. I can't think of what it is, but it feels like something I have seen before. They played it in Coyote Ugly. No, they didn't. <laughs> it was like, was it Hustlers? Like, no, that was a different 90s anthem in Hustlers. But, like, that was it was a Criminal by Fiona Apple. Oh, well, that makes sense. But, like, that you is can, also you can hot girl it. shit. Yes. I don't know that we were doing hot girl shit, the question, when we did that Alanis Morissette versus Fiona Apple, but most assuredly, Fiona Apple wins that one. Yeah, so like there's no question. And I think you can make a case for Smells Like Teen Spirit, but you'd have to work for it in a way that you don't have to work for Closer. Yeah, like I don't, I think if it had been Smells Like Teen Spirit versus any of the other songs that I was thinking about, Mm -hmm. Smells Like Teen Spirit probably would have won. Not this time. No. Just like, just, just, just like Jonathan Frakes in that like, that Believe It or Not esque series, like, right. Does it win? Not this time. Um, <laughs> is this song based? Not this time. Anyway, all right. Yes. Uh, now, question number four. Most important question that we ask, not just for the show, but for but for all of humanity. Just doing so many favors for everybody. You're welcome. Um, William Shatner, man about town, a, a equestrian, um, man whose hair is maybe his own at this point. Who can say? Mm-hmm. Singer, for sure. A performer. Um, extraordinaire. He's going to do a William Shatner version of one and only one of these two songs. Todd, which one of these songs must be shot upon? All four of these questions have been so easy. This is, this is a no brainer. This is also closer because I feel like Shatner as an actor has to connect to the song for it to be a real obvious winner. And both as an old, old man who was already pretty old when this song came out, and also just as a person who has to interpret, I don't think he can connect to Smells Like Teen Spirit at all. I don't know. Well, that's the challenge. That's the thing that makes it interesting. Yes. He'd really have to reach for the stars. Ah. <laughs> but the, the meaning of Closer is both A, obvious, and B, just the exact kind of thing that an actor can really sink his teeth into. You're right. I want to fuck you like an animal. Come on. That was, I don't know what you did there, but I, it was, it was very good. (laughs) (laughs) It was very good. (laughs) Okay. 
Uh, I agree with you. Ultimately, I do think it'd be interesting to to see Shatner try and probably fail to do Smells Like Teen Spirit. But if we're going by which one he'd excel at, it's most assuredly closer. Well, I think. What do you want to do right now? What should should we should we listen to the reader comments, or do you want to drop a surprise? Let's do the reader comments first. All right, here we go. All right. Daniel Schultz writes, I just want to know what Trent Reznor deserved, why Trent Reznor deserved to get thrown into the wood chipper like this. There were a lot of these comments who uh, expected this to be an absolute blowout. I don't. So here's the thing. Like, I don't. We're 100 episodes in and I never want to say, like, when people don't understand why we picked stuff, it's annoying. I do. Like, I'm a human being. I always have those moments where it's like, I don't know. It feels pretty obvious to me. Um, or alternatively, like we're the ones hosting the show. You have to listen to us. You don't have to do anything, but like, I don't, this one, I'd always, I mean, like we talked about it a lot. It has always felt really obvious to me whether or not Trent Reznor gets bodied by Kurt Cobain in this or not. The thing that matters is that he deserved in my mind more than any other artist to go up against Kurt, that his music is of the caliber that even if he is slaughtered, he still belongs in the ring. Yeah, I, I agree. Let's see. Bad Cat Bucky writes, if closer was closer to four minutes, I would consider it. But I'm going with Smells Like Teen Spirit. Closer is a long song. It is. Well, you could just listen to the music video version of that. If that makes you feel better. It is shorter. Yeah. All right. Near Ravel writes, so, um, am I supposed to like or enjoy Closer? I honestly can't tell. You're supposed to love it, sir. <laughs> or ma'am. I don't know what kind of name that is. Sounds Hebrewish, maybe? I don't know. Just say they're supposed to love it. Yes, they're supposed to love it. Glad I could help. All right. Mothman69 writes, Trent Reznor will, in fact, be getting closer to God after he's killed by the competition you put him up against. I, I have not looked. I knew he would lose, um, but I'm really curious to see by how much because people will keep insisting that it's a bloodbath. Right. All right. Magnificent Bopad writes, When I was a teenager in Ireland in the 2000s, my friend was going to America and asked if we wanted anything brought back. And since it's not a brand that's sold in Ireland, I asked him to bring back some teen spirit in the hopes that the song would make more sense having the context of the deodorant. It didn't. And I was a very dull teenager. (laughs) (laughs) He says, uh, my ownership of it and its special edition berry scent didn't make for quite the anecdote I thought it would be. It's not very good. No. Not not the anecdote is great, but um, teen spirit is a, as a deodorant was not great. All right. Franco Del Rosario writes, Nirvana and their detached apathy stands in stark contrast to today's youth raised on the internet who feel everything all the time. And on the other hand, you can draw a direct line from Nine Inch Nails to Billie Eilish, 100 Gex, Sophie, and other great genre pioneers of the late 2010s. Uh, both songs will always be classic, but Closer resonates more with this generation, so it gets my vote. I see. That's it. This is why we have the reader comments, because sometimes they say things in a sentence or two that I spent an hour trying and failing to say. Yeah, that's, I, I think, completely fair. 
Jamie, uh, James Smith writes, Trent Reznor has two Oscars to Kurt Cobain zero. Checkmate best song of the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's how it works. Because if there's n- one thing the music industry, and by that I mean musicians, really yes. respect, it's awards. <laughs> Especially 90s alternative. Yeah, they really give a shit about the Grammys, right? Like, woo! By the way, we're going to record the Grammys tomorrow. <sighs> Sorry. All right. It's a, as a, it, by the time we you hear this episode, ABBA will have won everything. Yeah, that's right. what's going to happen. Okay. All right. Bella writes, Closer reminds me of how painfully awkward I would feel whenever this would play on the radio while in the car with my parents. <laughs> and my, my partner had the same experience when they were yelling at their dad to change the music when this song came on, and he'd respond... He's just singing about his feelings. <laughs> <laughs> he is just singing about his feelings. Good on your parents. Uh, Dax writes, we, the patrons, let you violate us with your inaccurate takes about music. Here we are now. Listen to your podcast. Entertain us. Well, we try. We try, Dax. Yes, the dichotomy of constantly giving bad takes, and yet you keep coming back. Yes. Paul Anderson writes, I was there, Gandalf, the day the diversity of radio music died. But outside Indy College Station's early 90s pop music was dire. Chicago's Look Away, an absolute styrofoam clamshell of a song, was number one in 1989. So no matter how overplayed or jaded their ubiquity made you, like Smells Like Teen Spirit was like... Its impact was mostly for finally, at last, being a really decent song. Yes. yes compared to, like, people talk about hair metal as a thing it uh, destroyed. There's a lot of things it destroyed. It destroyed a lot of, like, a different kind of alternative music that just completely died. And it also destroyed, like, the horrible soft rock. Ooh, wait, wait, went. before you go one further, I realize there's something that we didn't do. What's that? Which Weird Al song is better? Smells like Nirvana or Germs? Smells like Nirvana. <sighs> it's tough. Germs was my, I think, my first exposure to Nine Inch Nails, and I didn't like that song at all. Oh, I love Germs. I think it's great. Yeah. I would also give it to Smells Like Nirvana, but I will say, um, um, Off the Deep End was the first Weird Al album I ever owned, but I think maybe my favorite Weird Al album of all time is Running With Scissors. I think that's a fair, I mean, that was my mine because it's the first. That I had, so. But those are my two. If I was going to pick two albums of his that I really love, those are the two. So it's very, it's very tough. They're both dear to my heart. But I think you're right. It smells like Nirvana is. Yeah, we got a lot of Weird Al comments in these comments yes. because oh, of the audience that we have. With yep. all these marbles in my mouth. <laughs> Immunosis writes, I'm a beetle. I'm a Skittle. Yeah. My libido. <laughs> All right, and uh, one last one. Martha Boatwright writes, I can only listen to a man saying, I want to fuck you like an animal so many times before looking for the block and report button. I I much prefer Trent Reznor as a soundtrack composer. Write a musical and finish that EGOT, dude. That's pretty funny. All right, and so that was the last comment I wanted to read. Yes. Now, um, in this place, in theory, at least, we'll go uh, comments from 
past guests of our show, Song vs. Song, the New York Times recommended podcast about songs. Um, yeah, we, we got as many of our former guests as we could to weigh in. Here we go. Hi, this is Joe Quazala. I'm a stand-up comedian and writer. I'm also the host of the Who Cares About the Rock Hall podcast, all about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And my choice is going to have to be Smells Like Teen Spirit by Nirvana. I mean, a little biased because Nirvana is my all-time favorite band, but I just think that song, obviously it's significant. Anyone who was around in 91 will tell you how it really felt like an overnight thing where the music industry changed, radio changed, MTV. The arrival of Nirvana with this song specifically was so important. I also just think the song is better. Closer by Nine Inch Nails has really been co-opted by a lot of disgusting, weird people. I want to fuck you like an animal. Yeah, it's just, it kind of grosses me out. I, I think Trent is a great musician, but nothing nothing beats Cobain for me. So I got to go, I got to go with that one. It's a great riff. It's simple. There's a reason why everyone knows and likes that song. Can't say the same for Closer. Hey everyone, I'm Victor and... I'm going with Smells Like Teen Spirit on this one. It's not even competitive to me. Closer is a good, important song. I like it a lot. It's not even close to Smells Like Teen Spirit, one of the greatest songs of rock history. Maybe if they had chosen Head Like a Hole, this would have been a little more competitive to me. But even then, I think the margin would be very wide. Smells Like Teen Spirit all the way. This is Grady Smith, and I think I would have to say Smells Like Teen Spirit for this battle because it's kind of the ultimate rebellious teen anthem because it almost lacks a rebellion, and that makes it completely inscrutable and true to adolescence, more kind of than any other song I can hear. I love the guttural vocals, and I love the kind of meandering meaninglessness of the lyrics. It's like, we hate you, but just entertain us, and... We're going to fight you, but we're also not. And so it's so angsty and aimless. It's like you're reading the book of Ecclesiastes. Also, in my little world of country music, I'd argue that Smells Like Teen Spirit and Nirvana, their rise really mimics what has happened out of the Texas rock scene or the Red Dirt rock scene, and that they're maybe the most influential band in artists like Co Wetzel, Zach Bryan, Pecos in the Rooftops. There's even a new band called Dexter and the Moon Rocks that call themselves nirvana cowboys or they make western grunge i feel like we're seeing a very similar kind of rebellion happen in that side of the country world and for that reason i'm going with smells like teen spirit hey guys what's up this is kava from musical explaining weighing in on closer versus smells like teen spirit um this is a tough one i gotta say um those are two very good popular songs of their day uh, Nirvana and Nine Inch Nails, of course, being two uh, very important bands of their day that I still listen to to this day. Um, both have very good music videos. And overall, I'd say that both have held up pretty well. And, and in some ways, this feels like, I don't know, man, apples and oranges. As, as much as I love them, I wouldn't even put them in the same kind of category. They don't scratch the same itch. Um, but if push comes to shove, I'm going to say I think I choose closer over Smells Like Teen Spirit, if only because te- Smells Like Teen Spirit has been something I've heard so many times, so many times, so many times. It's been mythologized and it's been talked about ad infinitum to death uh, that honestly, if I hear it, I barely even hear it anymore just because I just kind of have heard it so many times. So um, that is my answer. Congratulations on your 100th episode. Here's to 100 more. 
Uh, thanks for having me on, and I wish you guys all the best. Yo, it's the Rap Critic here, and even for me, it's a no-brainer. Nirvana Smell Like Teen Spirit wins all day over Closer by Nine Inch Nails. Like, come on, this is not even a contest. Now, look, I can still appreciate the Nine Inch Nails joint, you know what I'm saying? But let's be real here. Closer has a very specific setting for its usage. I wanna fuck you like an animal. Like, that's strictly music that plays in the seedy Baltimore strip club that the Buddy Cop movie goes to just to show how depraved the place is. But, but Smells Like Teen Spirit, that has that evergreen opening riff, the rebellious kids anthem energy, the lyrics that don't actually mean anything but kind of sound like they do and are kind of self-aware about it not meaning anything. Like, like, come on, that's the perfect 90s song. Get out of here. Hey, this is Raven from the... Uh, Seether versus Cannonball episode, and uh, as a as a kid of the '90s, you'd think I'd have a really strong opinion about this matchup, but I kind of don't. So it's really the am I in the mood for the anthemic screaming of Nirvana or the sad plinky plink of Nine Inch Nails? And on this day, I have to go with Closer. It is closer to my heart. Uh, Congratulations on 100 episodes. This is a really hard one, but I guess if I had to choose one, it's going to be Smells Like Teen Spirit. Sorry about that. Sorry about that, Nine Inch Nails. But uh, yeah, there is something about the entire experience, the song, the video, the full body flashbacks I get when I think about it. So yeah, this one goes to Nirvana for me. Hey, Todd and Lena, it's Andrew Unterberger. Congratulations on 100 episodes of Song vs. Song. Thanks for asking me to be a part of this 100th episode. Uh, you know, it's tough for me to, to pick one here because it smells like teen spirit, you know, shaped my musical worldview probably as much as any other song released in my lifetime, but I, I got to go closer. Uh, not just because it's my favorite Nine Inch Nails song. It's probably my favorite 90s song period. Maybe one of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, I've called it the good vibrations of the nineties before just because this, it's this perfect rock symphony. It's just, just constantly introducing new layers, new sonic elements, new hooks, and every, every one of them is just perfectly in place throughout. It's also just a dynamite pop song. It's, it's immediately recognizable, totally infectious. It's got this knockout chorus you hear at one time and you remember it for the rest of your life. Uh, it's kind of a touching love song in its own fucked up way, maybe. I don't, I don't know. But uh, the whole thing, you know, it just never loses juice for me. I've heard it a hundred million times. Uh, still, every time I hear that boom, chick, boom, chick, makes, makes me want to go fight a grizzly bear, fuck a grizzly bear, but become a grizzly bear. I, I don't know. But uh, it's, it's, it's visceral, exciting beautiful it's, it's totally singular uh and tommy lee once called it the all-time fuck song said you used to have sex on swing to it so don't know what more you need than that going closer here and that was the comments from our previous guests any previous guests that uh couldn't get back to us in time actually seriously hate us now we did something <laughs> seriously to piss them off that's true i mean i existed and that was enough so oh uh, yeah like anyone who was only on there once like there's a reason <laughs> no it was me it was me <laughs> And so once we've gotten all that out of the way, which should take us to a good full two hours, I think. Yeah, this is probably a two hour episode. Sorry. Uh, all that is left are the votes. Who do you think won? I mean, I, I know who won. I'm not a fool. Okay. But How much? I'm, I'm hoping it's not m- more than a 70-30 split. In my heart of hearts, I would like for it to be a, a, a 65-35. But I don't think I'm going to get that lucky. Okay, for a total of 876 to 472, that is exactly a 65 to 35 split. Oh, I'll take it. (laughs) I'll take it. The winner is, in fact, Smells Like Teen Spirit, but it was closer than you'd expect. (laughs) Oh, man.
I mean, it was. It was. I, I expected this to be more of a bloodbath, and I'm glad that Nine Inch Nails was able to hang in there for a few rounds. I'm proud of you. Uh, I'm proud of you, Trent. You did like, it. Like, that's a sign that we did the matchup right, because any other song would have been like a 99.8 to 0.2% That's true. Split. I agree. Okay, so now that we've gotten to the end of this, a little bit of business before we uh, reveal what the next episode is going to be. We've done 100 numbered episodes. And, you know, the podcast, with the exception of um, trying to add a little bit more, adding another question here or there, has mostly been the same. I'm not going to say that we're going to make enormous changes going forward, but I've always wanted to kind of do more with what we've got for um, for the show, for the Patreon, and um, that is a thing that comes with a qualifier. So we're going to talk about the one thing that's going to happen and brace for impact and hope everybody will be understanding by the time we get to the end of this, which is that as of right now, um, to be a patron costs a dollar. That is going to increase to $2, which is actually the amount that Patreon expects you to start at. You're not supposed to put $1. And we're not doing that um, just to gouge you. We're not giving you nothing in return. Um, We are doing it because I also want to be able to do more work for the show. And one of the things that I have thought for a really long time that is something that I wanted to do and is something that I think people want from Todd in particular is to talk about modern music more. And so what we're going to do is every month we're going to look at the previous month's releases. I'm going to pick stuff that I liked. Hopefully as time goes on, it'll become a little more collaborative. I spent a lot of January just sending songs to Todd. Like I liked this. I liked this. And it was stuff that I was finding all over the place, right? These are not like billboard hits. And we're going to pick some of those and we're going to make a list of songs that we both liked and why we liked them. So you can get a sense of not just the pop song stuff that, that Todd likes at the end of every year, but at the end of every month, like lesser known tracks. And that way you get, you get a little peek behind the shadows um, at what we're listening to. And, um, and you'll also get a full playlist of everything that we considered as being the, the tracks that like might be worthwhile. Um, and that'll happen every month so that we're clear um, when this episode drops, we will be dropping the first one of those. And if you are paying a dollar for the podcast Patreon, you will get that for the same amount as you always got. And if you are not a Patreon member of the podcast, but you are for Todd's main channel, it will also be available there um, so that you can kind of get a flavor of what is we're going to do. It, but uh, but also, I mean, like we're going to grow it. It's going to be a thing that fosters and, and improves with time. But um, I've really wanted to talk about modern music. I know a lot of people are probably a little curious about like, what else does Todd listen to? Um, and this is kind of an opportunity to find out about that stuff. So that's one thing. And then there's a lot of, boy, there's all sorts of things that might be happening, hopefully with the next hundred episodes, um, doing like a song versus song versus song. That's the thing that we might do in the future. I want to do rankings of like, take like an album that we both really love and like try and like come up with a ranking of the worst, the best song. I think that's like a fun thing we could do with the next hundred episodes. And maybe at some point we'll even do something like a, a lime in-person show or like a like a stream of a show you never know if there's interest you have to tell us but like these are things that get kicked around that we've been talking about i think 
during the whole first hundred episodes. And I really want to start to branch out for the next hundred. And these are all ideas that we have and who knows what will come up. But the goal is to do more with the next hundred episodes. Um, you ready for the next episode? I am. Of course I'm ready. We will be doing Brick House by the Commodores versus Super Freak by Rick James. Oh, wow. So she is either going to be a Brick House or a Super Freak by the end of that episode. We will decide. At long last. Yes. How long have you waited to know which one of the two genders she is? <laughs> Boom. All right. Get ready for new exciting things. Yay. Yay. Okay. And also, thank you for listening for 100 episodes. Or if this is the first episode, yeah, especially thanks for listening to this first episode. All the way to the end of this one. Yes, especially all the way to this two-hour episode. Oof. Well, we'll see how much it is. It's probably going to be, be about that long. Good grief. Anyway, thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, here's to 100 more. And and who knows what we'll do when we get to the, the fifth anniversary, which comes at the end of this year. Good God. Yep. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <laughs>